I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. In this week's episode of the podcast, I'm chatting with William Harris, one of the co-founders of New York, San Francisco, London and Bangkok-based design and hospitality firm, Avroco. Well, welcome to the podcast, William. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I, I just wanted to start off actually by saying that, you know, I've been quite a fan of the work that your group does for quite a while. So it's it's really a pleasure to be chatting. And I wanted to start the conversation uh, by sort of turning the clock back to your time at school, actually, when you were studying, because I read that you originally studied art. And I wanted to maybe have you talk through the decision-making process of, you know, why that was what you decided to study and perhaps the path since school and how it has led you to where you are today, um, not practicing. Sure. <laughs> yeah, happy, happy to tell some stories. Um, I mean, it started, I, I think the path started at, honestly at a very young age though, um, always being interested in art and, and all things creative um, and I was really you know that interest was cultivated a lot by my grandmother who was a hobbyist painter and I would always be inspired by her work that was around and she was actually quite good and um, my mother's sister my aunt who was um, you know when I was very young was studying photography in, in university and would always give me these great materials and, and, and great uh, art objects to play with you know getting introduced to that first needed art um, eraser was a big you know mind-blowing experience for me when I was young. So, um, you know, ironically, um, uh, as much as I loved art, I always thought architecture might be the way to go. And um, and I was very interested in that until I went to, uh, I, I lived not far from Cornell University and they had a student um, sort of, student introduction day, a career day, so to speak. And of course I signed up for, you know, anything artsy fartsy I could, I could find. And, and uh, there's this one particular architecture talk I wanted to join. And the architect that was there proceeded to promptly tell us all to never become architects. It's a horrible profession and, you know, basically turn your tail and run. So he was obviously a very disillusioned architect, but it, it actually really had an effect and threw me off the path. And so I decided, well, we're gonna, we're gonna stick with this art thing. And um, fortunately, um, in university, uh, I went to a, a program, uh, went to Carnegie Mellon University, and I met my amazing business partners there, um, which, I mean, you know, really was, I think, one of the most fortunate things um, to happen in, in my life. And that program was very interdisciplinary. It was very holistic. And I think the seeds of what was really forged for how I thought about, you know, creation and the creative process um, you know, was really planted there because it was a very conceptual program. And so the idea came first. It wasn't necessarily the medium, um, um, that was, uh, that was the priority. So it was all about crafting the idea. And then, you know, you could use whatever medium would help you best express that idea. So we were dabbling in video, we were dabbling in sculpture, you know, welding, painting and casting and drawing and performance art, 
all these things. Um, and so that was a really formative time in my life. Um, and again, I, you know, I got to meet my, all of my business partners there and we really naturally gravitated towards each other, just, you know, socially and creatively. And, and there was a lot of, you know, lights that were started, like fires that were started there and we would collaborate together just for fun, you know, outside of structured programs or outside of any kind of class. And we would just make stuff together. And, and that's why, you know, years down the road, it, it was so easy to weave back together and, and create a company together that did this. Mm, that's so interesting. Avrico is unique in many, many ways. Uh, your, your company and your studio encompasses design, branding, strategy, product and manufacturing. And you also own and operate your own restaurants, uh, providing clients with a proof of concept. Can you tell us about that experience when the found, four founders of Avro Co. first joined forces to work together on a project? Adam and Greg approached Christina and I and said that they had a client that was in the fashion services industry, which basically basically means she was an agent for some of the best photographer, fashion photographers, fashion stylists, uh, makeup artists, etc. in the industry. She wanted to completely redo her brand, um, get a, a big, beautiful new office. Um, you know, do her branding and, and all the collateral, do a whole new, whole new digital presence. Um, and uh, both Adam and Greg thought it would be really powerful and productive to collaborate on that all together because of our different uh, skill sets and, and uh, what we could all bring to the table. And we said, sure, that would be just a lot of fun. Um, and so we did, and it was, it was, it was so much fun. In fact, that we decided, okay, this is, this is now what we need to be doing. Um, we're just going to take our names and we're going to smash them together. So Avro Design and KO Media Studios became Avro Co. Um, and basically we said we are going to, you know, we need to be a holistic studio. We need to be able to fully surround a project and a concept and and when we build that concept really be able to manifest it in all these different ways uh and hopefully it's all the different uh you know uh, skill sets and, and media that we were interested in doing which would be you know it would be space it'd be furniture it'd be lighting it'd be brand it'd be concept and strategy and and, and all of that and um and that was really our new our new ethos and and we hadn't done a lot of it but we really felt strongly about it um and uh the first real, real test of that, now that we were officially one company, was our own, what we call self-propelled projects, of which we do typically one a year. But back then, um, that was our first, and that was to be the restaurant public in um, downtown New York in the Nolita neighborhood on Elizabeth Street. So um, we created the whole concept. We found the space. We raised the money. Um, Adam Farmery's brother, Brad Farmery, was a successful chef in London. Um, and they wanted to work together again or be in closer proximity together. So we, we brought him uh, to New York and uh, created the whole project. And fortunately, it was it was very successful. And that really launched us, really launched our career. Yeah. I mean, it seems like such a logical progression, I, I think, in some ways, but it's not that common. And I actually wanted to ask you about, you know, how fundamental to your process do you think this understanding and experience of the operations of a restaurant is? And, 
you know, how much value do you think your clients place on, on that sort of experience that you have? It is huge. I mean, operational understanding is critical in, in certainly the hospitality world. Um, and I'd say anywhere, but, you know, really understanding how a restaurant works, how a hotel works, uh, all the moving parts, how um, your design decisions will affect not only the guests, but all the staff, you know, all the, the different systems that operate in this ecosystem, which is very complex, this big living thing. Um, and then something that's so public facing and something that changes so much throughout the day, meaning, you know, the day parts, whether, you know, a certain vibe in the morning and breakfast and, uh, you know, light filled airy spaces throughout the day and into the night when you're, you know, the lights are going down, the sun setting and dinner and music's up and energy changes and, and, uh, you know, it's a very living, uh, organism. And so, um, it was invaluable for us. Uh, and we learned a lot of lessons the hard way, you know, I'm not going to lie about that. When we first opened public, um, we all had a, a touch of, of experience in the industry as being either, you know, uh, servers or, or bartenders. Um, uh, but uh, there was not a lot to prepare us for all the complexities that we were about to um, face. And, um, you know, our, our, yeah, the, the, our day job would be in the design studio, uh, which was right above the restaurant. We moved our design studio right above the restaurant. And then, yeah, come, come evening time, we would, we would go down to the restaurant and we would continue to observe. We all had different shifts managing the restaurant. Um, there were shifts where I got stuck with closing at, at 4 a.m. on Saturday nights, you know. Um, oh, wow. I, was the, I was the one that lived closest to the restaurant. So I lived down the street, I lived about three doors down, or I moved three doors down once we opened the restaurant, knowing that there were going to be a lot of late nights and early mornings. And so, of course, I was on the list. I was on the security list if the uh, uh, the alarm system was to go off or the fire alarm or what have you. And um, wow. so, of course, you know, every other night at, at, at 4.30 in the morning, I'd, I'd get the call from the security team. And uh, invariably, it was a porter uh, closing up for the night that messed up the security system and set it off by accident, you know, unwittingly. <laughs> Um, but those were some, some scary nights opening up a restaurant at 4.30 a.m. in New York with no lights on and, you know, fumbling for the new light switches you put in somewhere. But, it's, you know, 6,000 square foot restaurant and waiting for someone <laughs> to jump out from behind a stack of plates or something. But, um, but man, those were, those were great days. But, but um, you know, taught us so much about, um, about the operations of a restaurant and, and how to, uh, what not to do, more importantly, what to mm. do well. But our biggest lessons certainly were from what not to do. And, and fortunately... We're all very flexible. We have a great relationship together. So if something uh, wasn't working or was flat out broken, we were, we would just fix it. We would evolve and we'd we'd pivot and um, uh, and fortune, you know, make it work and, and learn some great lessons. Mm, that's incredible experience. Uh, so and a lot of hard work by the sounds of it. Uh, I, I wanted to ask, you know, about the the, the four of you, um, the founding partners of Avroco, um, yourself being one of them, uh, and how you define each of your roles within the group. Because I guess it's not a singular company anymore. There are multiple sort of aspects to um, the company, mm -hmm. and I wanted to know if each of you are equally involved in each of um, the sort of. Uh, the companies mm -hmm. within the group, I suppose, or is it a divide and conquer approach? How do you, 
How do you sort of divide that? Well, you know, things have, have certainly evolved. I mean, we're, we're celebrating our 20-year anniversary this year, which we're, we're all very proud mm. of. Um, but in the beginning, uh, as I guess any new relationship, um, we really needed to learn each other um, in a more intimate way. And, and so a lot of the, you know, we were joined at the hip, basically. Um, we would always have offices where we'd have four desks in the same room. We'd always be facing each other. Um, so not only could you have direct dialogues, but you could also, you know, pick up, even if you were focused on something else, you could pick up other conversations that were happening. And it might sound maybe, you know, a bit distracting and maybe at times it was, but you would always have your, 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 your kind of finger on the pulse of what was going on and how people were thinking, what kind of decisions they were making. And then when it came to finances, when it came to staffing, when it came to you know, all the decisions that go into building, well, creating and then building and, and evolving a company, we were making all those decisions together. Um, so it might not have been the most efficient, but I think it was really important um, in our foundational growth. Um, and we did that for years and years and years. The same with our design process. We would work on every project all together. And we really felt like, you know, this is a collective, this, our collective experiences and, and data points and, and knowledge that we all have um, are all valuable and, and, and we are better as a group than we are individually, you know? And so that's really been an ethos that, that we've also built upon in our studio with, with all of our different teams. Um, and um, this, this idea of, of, you know, collective force. Um, and it was very successful for us. Now, certainly over time now, we share one brain, so to speak. Um, and uh, now things have evolved a little bit. So, and, and now that we've, you know, the, the size of the company is, is quite larger now, we do have to specialize mm. a little bit more, at least focus in certain areas. So um, we will take certain areas and someone might be heading PR and that might be for the, a year or two or six months to 14 months. And then maybe someone else will, will take that flag and, and maybe run with it. Um, but someone is is the the point person on finance. Of course, we're all still involved in the big mm -hmm. meetings, the big decisions, certainly. Um, and technology allows us to do that if we're not in the same room. Um, and as you can imagine, as we've grown, the travel has increased and our our spread has increased. So we're kind of all over the world now, which is absolutely thrilling, but uh, harder to get in the same room at times now. So um Mm. And then creatively, um, you know, with the different offices. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to ask you how big the team is now. I, we've got just over 100 employees and mm -hmm. uh, we have several different div divisions. And so part of that, there is a bit of a divide and conquer now for sheer practicality and interest level. You know, I think we, we all support each other's interests. And, you know, one of those would have was, you know, Adam farmery really wanted to have an office in London. You know, he went to the Architects Association there for a bit. Um, uh, he's got deep connections there and saw a lot of opportunities. And so he really leads that office. I saw a lot of opportunity in Asia and a lot of interest in what was happening out there. So um, I lead the office in Bangkok. Christina uh, leads Brand Bureau. Greg leads our furniture division, Good Shop. And then uh, there's 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 different hats that we wear within the hospitality group and and all the other things that we're we're into but um you know we're all still very very close-knit um uh we share in all, all the big decisions and typically even in projects 
there is say a first chair we call it where one of the partners will take the lead and that like the buck stops with that partner but there's typically a second chair and there's a second partner that um, always has uh, the backup should you know some immediate support be needed and so um, that's a good support system and I I think the idea of a support system was was critical for us when we were um, forging out because you know we, we always knew that someone else had our back you know, it, it, we always knew that there we weren't in it alone, and we 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 share in the wins together, and we 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 share in the the challenging times together, and bolster each other up. But um, you know, again, that collective thinking I think gave us the the confidence to take a lot of the risks that we've taken over our career, which has worked out fortunately, you know, for the better. Mm, that sounds quite utopian in a way. I'm sure still a lot of hard work, but there's something really lovely about the fact that you've all. Yeah, managed to band together and to stick it out for 20 years. That's really quite an accomplishment. And I, I should say congratulations. I think anyone who runs a business knows that surviving for that long and hopefully yeah. still enjoying it after that many years is really something to be proud of. Uh, so Thank congratulations. You. And, you know, as you said, the company has changed and it's grown and the, and the team has expanded. And the world has certainly changed a lot in, in that period of time. And, and so I actually wanted to talk to you about how you see the company has changed and, and you know, the evolution and perhaps how it might continue to evolve beyond the 20 years. What sort of vision do you have yeah. and the other founders? Yeah. You know, evolution is so important and, and you know, challenging our own boundaries is so important. And you mentioned, you know, staying excited and interested, and we've never really had a problem with that. Of course, you're always going to have lulls and things might, you know, <laughs> not be all, you know, rosy at, at all times. Um, but I think we are, as a, as a company and, and as our own, as the individuals uh, of each of the partners are we're entering a new, a new period. And I think this 20 years has kind of been a mark for us. It's, we, we were fortunate to, to, to build this great foundation and and these great teams um, and really work on our systems and really work on our processes and define our DNA. And um, and we continue to, to try to be better at that too. It's, it's never a project that's done. Um, but I think now we're really, uh, and, and it's kind of mirroring, I think the way the world is going too, um, the benefits of you know, what we call hospitable thinking or integrating hospitality into so many other industries besides typical hospitality projects, you know, infusing a sense of hospitality um, in non-traditional hospitality worlds like uh, office design or retail or hospitals, um, et cetera, et cetera, um, is becoming more and more uh, sort of accepted, more and more desired, um, I think more and more people are realizing um, and wanting and craving, uh, you know, this, this sense of human care and connection uh, in a way that, you know, our tactics through hospitable thinking can help sort of tease out and, and celebrate. Um, and that really makes, that uh, makes for a happier guest. It makes for a happier company. Um, it just, it makes for a better, kind of a better world in, in some sense. And so, you know, we're looking for opportunities to, to infuse um, our sense of hospitality into into other arenas. And so there's a, a lot of different aspects that we're engaged in to do that. Mm. 
Yeah, I think that's such, I mean, again, quite a logical kind of approach. It's interesting that it, it seems such a new way of thinking, but quite obvious in a sense when you think about it, um, especially in the industry that you're in. And I wanted to talk particularly about hospitality because the the, the group or the company within the group that, that owns and operates venues is still continuing to expand and grow despite the pandemic and the challenges that uh, that, that people in that industry are facing um, with a couple of new venues across different continents. And I would really love to have you talk a bit about that and um, you know maybe what challenges you've faced and the decisions behind deciding to grow and expand that arm of the business in this, you know, in this brave new world that we're living in. Sure. Yeah, tough decision. Um, well, I, I, things definitely hit a hard pause for a while. Um, we had the unique and surprising benefit to uh, the timing, basically, of our last four venues that we opened were opening right at the height or the break of the pandemic. And they were opening about as far away as you can imagine from New York. They were opening in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, mm. But we had the fortunate luck. There wasn't a lot of fortunate things that came out of the pandemic, but one of the, one of the things that did work in our favor was that um, uh, Auckland handled the pandemic so well um, that they, you know, they were able they closed their borders so soon, and they were able to contain, um, you know, their sense of wellness and protection. That they, they were able to operate relatively unscathed for a while, as if you know things were status quo. Um, certainly, they did had some lockdowns um, uh, after that time and throughout the year, but. Um, so, uh, and we were able to sneak one of our other, our hospitality partner, Marion Emanuel, into Auckland right before, I think she got on the last plane uh, that New Zealand allowed into the country. Um, she wow. got in from San Francisco and it was able to help open those, but we've never, ever opened any project, certainly that we've owned and operated ourselves that, without being there. You know, that, that was very um, stressful and difficult and kind of sad, you know, to not, not be there. and. Um, mm. Welcoming all the staff and building all the you know doing all the training and getting 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 everything just so so that was that was an adjustment, um, but you know we we all feel that there there will be uh, a great resurgence um, in the hospitality world. People are destined to go out and to commune and to be together, um, and we're working with other uh, operational partners in different parts of the world now that that believe the same thing. Um, so we've, we've partnered with a great group um, in the U.S. that is um, helping us uh, with opening some, some key strategic uh, projects. Um, Ghost Donkey in particular, which is our mez uh, mezcal and tequila bar brand, really fun and democratic and, um, and, and very, um, very popular. So we just opened in Denver about a month ago, and we're currently building out uh, a site in Phoenix, Arizona right now. So there are new projects on the boards and, you know, with uh, operational partners uh, in different parts of either the U.S. or the world that are on the ground that have, you know, that we've got a great relationship and trust with and that also have the resources on the ground when we can't travel um, is really key. And that's really, the, you know, the only reason, uh, well, if we have those, uh, those boxes ticked, that's, that's the only way we'll decide to move forward. So we're moving slowly, mm. but... Oh, you know, yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And I guess further to that question, I I wouldn't mind maybe picking your brains um, and finding out about you know what you think of the future of, of bricks and mortar. And I guess when I say that, I'm talking about hospitality, but also retail. And um, I think it's yeah. clear from what you just said that you think that it does have a future. But I, you know, if you have any other thoughts and you could kind of elaborate on that, I'd love to hear. You know what you think the future might yeah, look like. Sure, the physical I, spaces. Yeah, what's yeah, it's it's. You know, I'm typically based in New York. Um, I do spend a lot of time in Asia with our Bangkok office as well. But um, walking the streets of New York now is is definitely a, a wake up call. You know, many um, the amount of spaces for lease, uh, shuttered retail spaces is staggering. Um, so I think yeah, retail is definitely going to have to reinvent itself. Um, for sure, it's. Um, I mean, I think that's a scary uh, sort of region or industry to be in right now in general. But um, I, you know, I, I think certainly creating experiences that are very unique, very magnetic, uh, very tactile in uh, a brick and mortar retail environment are still absolutely um, viable. It just, it just requires a lot of um, creativity and some risk taking. Um, and I think it dovetails a little bit to what I was referencing about um, adding other components, say, of hospitality um, into uh, into retail environments. And that doesn't mean necessarily like you're going to have a bite of food or you're going to have a drink, but the essence of hospitality, essence of, of you know, playing with um, or, you know, helping humans fulfill their fundamental needs and giving them a sense of, of security and surprise and ultimately significance. So they feel that this is, this is a place worth being. I just don't need to, you know, this is a, an experience worth having. It's not something I can just necessarily click online. Um, and then for more traditional hospitality environments, um, yeah, I do still think we're going to have a surge of of interest in travel again and the ability to travel again uh, i think there's been a lot of uh, innovation happening both with clients and projects that we're involved with but and other projects that i'm seeing around the world um, in navigating this this whole new world that we are in um, but making wellness and safety and uh, you know all the concerns that people are having now with the pandemic you know catering to those concerns and building it into the DNA because I don't think it's necessarily going anywhere. You know, that, that, that threat isn't going anywhere. But at the same time, I think it is manageable. And I think uh, with enough creativity and, um, and ingenuity, it can, you know, be a, be a, a feature, not, not, just a, you know, not just a challenge. Mm. That's interesting. Well, my final question for you is uh, about Bangkok because it's uh, maybe a shared love. It's one of my favourite cities in the world, and you mentioned oh, before great. your role. Yeah, in you know your role in setting up your office there, and I imagine you must have been visiting, you know, fairly regularly. So I wanted to hear what perhaps you think uh, is what makes Hong Kong. Uh, sorry, Bangkok unique, and uh, and you know what you're maybe missing most about that city without being able to travel at the moment. Yeah, I I am definitely missing uh, Bangkok. Um, I'm missing our team a lot. You know, we stay in touch. Technology allows us, fortunately, to stay in touch in a myriad of, of ways. But um, 
I've, I've definitely felt pretty gutted not not being able to to be there uh, in person. So, you know, I'm, you know, as you know, Bangkok is is such uh, a sprawling but you know energetic and diverse and amazing metropolis. Um, you know, I find it incredibly inspiring. I find the people amazing and kind and soulful. Um, I think that was one of the things that drew me to Bangkok for, you know, versus perhaps some other cities in Southeast Asia that um, I don't necessarily need to mention, but there's definitely a particular soulfulness, soulfulness in Bangkok. There's a great respect for, uh, you know, history and historic buildings and, and, and art and craft. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, it, I feel hard pressed at times to find, you know, um, old pieces of anything in, in some of these more, you know, more modern um, capitals of Asia, but uh, whether it's, you know, antiques, uh, you know, old arts, um, things that have had a past life and a soul, they're still cared for and revered and there's a value to that, which I love. And so, um, and, uh, you know, for us, even it was, you know, it was a great central location. Uh, we knew we were going to travel to all these different um destinations within Asia and it's you know I wanted to be be able to within a few hours get to many of them get down to Indonesia um, you know Malaysia get you know cut over to India and Dubai or the Middle East or go up to you know North Asia and um, Hong Kong Korea Japan so it's not all convenient but the location was also really great for us and you've got just so much diversity from, you know, the beaches to the city. And of course, I mean, the food is, is absolutely mind blowing. So uh, I definitely Mm. miss that a lot. Mm. I could not agree more. That was, yeah, that was a really great description and I'm now missing it even more than I was before. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) we should meet up there next time where where, where we cross over. We should, yeah, I would love to share some street food together. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, I, I need some of that mango coconut rice. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really a pleasure chatting. And um, yeah, obviously, we all look forward to seeing what's new from Avroco. Oh, well, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And um, I really appreciate all your kind words. And this has been a real pleasure. So thank you so much. Thanks, William. Take care.